This is Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die. And only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could He set us free all who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. And I love this passage because it tells us why Jesus came, why God became man, why He took upon Himself human flesh. Because we can't reach up to God, so God reached down to us. And He became a man and His name was Jesus. And He lived a perfect life. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And by doing that, by dying on a cross, He broke the power of sin and death. We no longer have to fear death. So we come to these elements. We come to the bread and we come to the cup. And it reminds us of His sacrifice. But it, but it reminds us not that He's dead because He's not dead. He's alive. He rose. And we'll celebrate that on Easter Sunday. And uh, we'll talk about the resurrection and what that means. So we come to this memorial meal, but it's not like any other memorial. It's a memorial where it reminds us of His sacrifice for us, but it also reminds us that He's alive today. And he said, do this in memory of me. So as we do it today, we want you to remember why he came. He came to die. He came to give his life. He came so that he could break the power of sin. So that we wouldn't have to fear death. That we would know that if we call upon the Lord, that that life goes on for eternity. And when we step from this world, we step into eternity with him. And that's the joy and that's the hope we have. And that's what the meal speaks about. Jesus says, I won't drink of this cup again until I do anew in my Father's kingdom with you. So there's two real requirements in Scripture. And just kind of briefly want to remind you of those. Number one, this may be your first time at Hope or one of your first times you've never done communion here before. Maybe you've come from a different tradition Let me tell you what our tradition is. We do communion once a month. We celebrate the Lord's table once a month. And you don't have to be a member of Hope Church to join us. Uh, There are two really requirements, and they're not requirements that we kind of sat in the back room and came up with. They're requirements that we find in Scripture. Number one, you need to be part of the family. You need to know Jesus as your Savior. You need to be, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the question is, have you ever done that? Have you ever asked Jesus to be your Savior? Not to, that He's a Savior out there, but He's your Savior. You've personalized that. You've asked Him to come into your life and to save you from your sin and from the curse of death. Number two, and, and this doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you cross that line of faith and you say, Jesus, you and I are beginning a journey. And we're going to walk together. And it's not always going to be pretty, but we're walking together, right? The second requirement is that you're in fellowship with God. That means you have confessed sin in your life. And, and you don't have to go anywhere to a special place or to a special person. Don't come to me. <laughs> I don't want to hear your sins. Right? I've got enough of my own. But you, the Bible says in, in, in 1 John, if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us. So you can go right to the Father. You have an audience with the Father. You can ask for forgiveness. And you say, well, I don't deserve it. No, you don't. But because of His sacrifice, your sins are forgiven. So maybe you have sin in your life that you need to confess And you can do it tonight before you take the elements. We would love you, and it's really important that you do that. 
Secondly, it may be that you have uh, broken fellowship not only with God, but with, with another person, you know. And you have, you have bad feelings. And Jesus one time said, if, you, if you're taking your, your offering, your sacrifice to the altar to, to offer it to me, and then you remember you have something against your brother, stop what you're doing, go make things right with your brother, then bring your offering. In other words, he's saying, don't play a game of hypocrisy here. If you're not right with me, and if you're not right with your brother, then don't do this meal. Now, does that mean you're going to be at peace with everyone on this planet? Probably not. But the Bible says, as, as it is within you, be at peace, live at peace with all people. If you've sinned against others, or you have a bitter feelings, or anger, or whatever, and you need to confess that, confess it. Uh, if you've wronged somebody, make it right with them. Uh, if you're wrong with, you know, you're not right with God, make it right with Him. But if you could say, yes, I am part of the family. I've called upon the Lord. Number two, I'm in fellowship with God and with others, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to examine my heart in a moment. And if I'm not, if I don't feel peace about it, then I'm just going to pass those elements by. But if I feel a peace, we want you to go ahead and take the cups. And here they are. They're stacked. One has the juice. One has the bread. Just hold on those. Hold on to those. And then when we all, all get them, I'll lead us and we'll take those together. But the Bible says, let a person examine their heart before the Lord. So I'm going to give you a moment to do that in silence, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus and that he willingly came to earth and willingly gave his life on a cross for us. We're not deserving of it. We haven't earned it. We don't merit it. It is surely by grace through faith. And we thank you that Christ gave his life, but he didn't remain in the tomb. He rose on the third day and he is now alive and seated at your right hand. We thank you for the cup and the, and the bread, the bread which represents his body, which was given on a cross, beaten, uh, abused, and ultimately executed for his blood that shed, that paid the price for our sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you for Jesus. May this uh, reminder not only of what Christ has done for us, but what we have in store for us, and what you have in store for those who love you. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for giving yourself for us. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to life when here on the earth you paid the price out of love to give us worth to live the way that no one could do for it's why you came to be the sacrifice renewed and oh, there is no one greater 
Then you, my God, the one and only Savior, you've lived the life I should have lived. You've died the death I should have died. true son you've lived the life I should have lived you've died the death I should have died thank you Savior for your love I give praise to you one true son, Jesus Christ. Reading from Matthew chapter 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. He broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. He took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. On communion weekends, we take one extra offering. It's called the Good Samaritan Offering. I don't want you to feel compelled or obligated. It is really to assist those who are going through financial stressful times. We have a Good Samaritan team that distributes, meets with those folks and distributes that. If you would like to give to that, you have an opportunity to do it. I'm going to have a word of prayer, then we'll take that offering. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to bless those who are going through some difficult times. Pray for wisdom and direction for the Good Samaritan team. Thank you for uh, the way that we can use this offering to be a blessing to those uh, within this faith community. We pray that it would be a reflection of the early church who basically looked out for those who had needs, that those who had enough gave so those who didn't have enough found help. So may this be an encouragement and a blessing to these folks who go through some times of difficulty, and may it show our love for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You washed away my sin and my shame. Took it all, but when defeating the grave, you died to death, and that stood for all time. To secure the dead, that was rightfully mine. And 
So I want to give a shout out to the uh, UD campus, which not too much longer we're going to be calling it the Roshek campus, right? So good stuff is happening down there. We're praying for that. We're excited about the developments there at Roshek. I want to ask you a couple questions because our text is at really, really wrestles with a couple of questions that we find in the passage. The first one of this, have you ever wondered why, what the relationship is between sin and suffering and uh you know, sickness that, you know, some people would say, well, there's a direct correlation that uh, many times people suffer because of their sin or they're sick because of their sin or it's tied to sin. And and our passage, we're going to see it wrestles with that question. What's that relationship look like? If you ever thought about it, it's going to it's going to deal with that. The second one is this. Have you ever wondered why some people and, and there are people that, you know, people that you love me. Uh, they may be your friends, your family members, people you work with, people you care about. And you, you're trying to explain what it is that you have faith in Christ, and, and they don't get that. I mean, they understand it. They understand it, you know, when you explain it. They get what you're saying, but they don't get what you're saying. You know what I mean? They kind of think, I'm not sure what is all going on there. It just seems like you're drinking a little too much Jesus juice or something's going on there. And you ever wonder why that is? Why is it that they just don't get it? How is it possible? I mean, if they've heard, or people who have grown up in the church their whole lives, and then they get to a point and they say, ah, I'm done, and they just walk away, and they never darken the doors again. You go, why did that happen? I mean, they used to serve. They used to do this. They used to do this. And now they, they don't even, like, they're not even in the ballpark, right? Why does that happen? Well, our text is going to look at that. And it's kind of an interesting text. It's found in John chapter 9. It's on page 818 of your uh, chair Bible. 818, uh, John chapter 9. And what Jesus, is going to, it's, uh, what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to heal a grown man who was born blind. 
Now, you would say, well, that's a good thing. Probably a wonderful thing. Probably everybody's going, yeah, great, Jesus, good, good thing. But there's this major controversy. There's this major controversy. And sometimes we look back and we say, how petty. How petty. Well, what was the controversy? The controversy was this man was healed on the Sabbath. They go, nah, I don't know if you should have done it. Monday, Sunday, you know, Sabbath and Saturday. Uh, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, good. Friday, yeah. Make sure you do it before, you know, sunset. But, but that was the controversy. It wasn't that he healed. It was that he healed on the Sabbath. And it was like this big controversy. We sometimes say, how petty. Well, we do the same thing, folks. So before you go and start throwing stones, remember, we, we do the same thing in, in a lot of ways. But let's look at that passage. John chapter 9, page 818. And we'll look at this story. It, I, it, to me, there's, there's some humor here. I mean, there's just... I see, I see. I, I think it's funny. As I was reading through it, I just had a smile on my face. Uh, it's it, kind of humorous. Um, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born uh, blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Jesus answered, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now, let's just stop for a minute. In other words, and I'm not even going to talk about this, and I didn't plan to talk about it, but as you read through it, maybe the question comes, wait a minute. This man's been blind his whole life, and he's been blind so that the glory of God could be demonstrated one day in his life after he's been blind so that he could see and the power of Jesus could be revealed. Can you imagine that? You're blind your whole life. For the purpose to show the glory of Jesus, who he was. That's what this passage is saying. That's quite remarkable. Imagine God were to come to you and ask you in advance, Hey, by the way, I'm going, I want you to be born blind, and you're going to be, or you're going to suffer for this length of time. And it's going to be a long time. I mean, he's a grown man. And we're going to do this, and then one day I'm going to come and I'm going to heal you. You go, yeah, you know, Joe is... He's looking for an opportunity, right? Sorry. All right. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and no one can, uh, no, when, then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the, man, uh, the blind man's eyes. All right. Now we'll get to that. So essentially the man's sight comes, you know, immediately back. Now let me, let me walk you through the chapter because we don't have time to read the whole chapter. So the man's now, he, he, he walks away and he can see. And these neighbors, these people that all know him go, wait a minute, weren't you just blind? I mean, haven't you been blind your whole, yeah. And so he, they begin to tell, he begins to tell them that he was healed. Um, and he, they say, well, how did he heal you? And he goes through the, you know, he put, you know, spit, and he put dirt in my eyes, and all of a sudden now I can see. Well, who is he? I don't know who he is. So they take him to the Pharisee, because they know it's been done on the, fair, uh, on the Sabbath, and that's the problem. So they take him to the Pharisees, because he was healed on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees begin asking basically the same questions. What happened? You know, well, he took, you know, this man, and, well, you know, he did this, and now I can see. And he go and, and and they say, 
Well, who did it? You know, I don't know who he was. Some guy, you know. So this is where, to me, it gets humorous. They get his parents, all right? They get mom and dad over there. And they say, mom and dad, is this your son? Yeah. Was he born blind? Yeah. Can he see now? Yeah, I think he can. Yeah. Uh, what, do you, what else do you know? We don't know anything about it. He's a grown man. Why don't you go talk to him, right? That, to me, is humorous. What's, what's going on? They're afraid. They're afraid of causing, you know, getting into trouble with the Pharisees. They just want to stay out of it. Hey, he's a grown man. They, you know, they basically say he's a grown man. He can answer for himself, which I think is quite, quite humorous. So they bring the man back, and they re-question him. And they say this, they say, give glory to God, this Jesus is a sinner. And the man just gives out these wonderful answers. He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner. The man replied, but I know this. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I have no idea. But I do know this. I once was blind, but now I see. <laughs> That's fabulous. So uh, he begin, they begin a dialogue, and the man kind of gets a couple. I don't know if the man's intentionally trying to get these jabs, and you should read through it. It's quite humorous, I think. Do you want to become one of his disciples? And he says, what, are you crazy? And they begin to mock him, and they dismiss him. What do you know? You're, you're a sinner. You're probably one of his disciples. You're probably a plant, essentially is what they're saying. And they throw him out of the synagogue. They throw him out. So Jesus meets him. Jump down a, a little bit, and, it's, and it says this. When Jesus heard what had happened, and a lot had happened, right? It's like he went from one trial to another. He found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him. Jesus said, And he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe. And the man said, and then notice the last words it says there, and he worshipped him. He believed and he worshipped. That's key, and we're going to look at why that is. So our text weighs in on these, these two important questions that we began with, and I want to just kind of unpack them just for a minute. First one is this. How does sin uh, relate to sickness and, and uh, you know, trouble and, you know, trials and things like that so the disciples ask a very interesting question they said who sinned he or his parents which is kind of an interesting question because you say well of course you could say the parents may have sinned and caused this to come on the man right that you could say that how is a baby supposed to sin really i mean come on i mean how in the world is this man who is a baby supposed to have sinned that would cause his blindness um so their assumption is somebody sinned, and uh, that's a problem, right? Now, many people in that day and people today believe the same thing. It's, it's not something they used to believe. It's, it's alive and well today. They, they basically believe something like this. If you're having a tough life, you must have done something to deserve it. You reap what you sow, right? Have you heard people who, who kind of... They kind of always default to that. They must have had it coming. They must have deserved it. They must have done something. You reap what you sow. But you know, this view of suffering is not true to the facts. 
It doesn't play out, really. When you play this out to its logical conclusion, it doesn't, it doesn't play out. There's plenty of, of good people who suffer. You know them. And, and they haven't done anything to deserve it. Uh, there's, there's a number of examples in the Old Testament. Joseph suffered. What did he do? Well, he was a little bit of a brat. Yeah, but, but not enough to be sold as a slave. And ultimately, that you think of Job. I mean, twice in chapters 1 and 2, it says of Job, there was not a more righteous man walking on the planet. And he suffered. I mean, seriously, he suffered. He lost everything. He lost, he lost his, his, his family. He lost his wealth. The only one in his family didn't lose his wife, which actually could have been a good thing. I mean, it, you, you kind of wonder if Job said, I wish you had been in the... The building that came down when all, every, all the children went because she became nothing but a harasser. And, and she kept saying, curse God and die. And then God, you know, the, the, and then he loses his health. And all through there, his friends come and say, you must have done something. You must have done something. To do. You reap what you sow. Uh, Jesus is another perfect example. Did he suffer? Absolutely. We just talked about his suffering. Did he do anything wrong? He who knew no sin. Who knew no sin became sin for us is what the scripture says. So, but, so, so, so good people do suffer and it has nothing to do with their, their own sinfulness, right? But secondly, there are many bad people who don't suffer. They don't get what they deserve. They're out there prospering, right? Uh, you know them. There's many bad people who are doing quite well. They prosper. They live a long life. They die peacefully in their sleep. And you go, that's not fair. Why is it that good people suffer and bad people don't? That's one of the prophets. That's one of the psalmists. They, they, they say that all the time. But what Jesus does, he rejects the premise that suffering is always tied to sin. Look at his words to his disciples. He says, neither he nor his parents sinned. No one did anything wrong to cause his blindness. So here's at least one example where Jesus says this is a situation where nobody sinned and this man was born blind. But the Bible does say that our sin can bring suffering. It doesn't mean it doesn't. I mean, we, sin sometimes does lead to suffering. The psalmist or the proverb, uh, writer of Proverbs says uh, in 1321, trouble chases sinners while blessings reward the righteous. Now, this isn't an ironclad promise, but it's generally a a principle of Scripture that it says if you're a wicked person, you ought to expect that things aren't going to go well for you in the long run. Here's a summary of what the Bible does teach in the relationship between sin and suffering. The Bible teaches that God did not originally create a world filled with disease, suffering, and death. He created a perfect paradise. It was absolutely perfect. He created perfect, you know, a perfect uh, place, and he placed people there, Adam and Eve. When the human race turned away from God, everything in the world stopped working properly. Our world is broken. Have you noticed that lately? Our world's broken. It is busted up, isn't it? And it's not getting better. So we experience suffering. We experience disease. We experience natural disasters, and we experience death. That's the world we live in. Therefore, in one sense, we are getting what we deserve. When we turn from God and rebel, when we tinker with His creation, we reap the consequences. So sometimes our suffering is tied to our sin sometimes. So in general, sin can often lead to suffering. 
But on the other hand, Jesus teaches that bad things can happen to you that have nothing to do with your behavior. Again, I gave you the examples. You have Joseph, you have Job, you have the man born blind, you have Jesus. And and the whole purpose of the man born blind was so that God's glory could be displayed through Jesus. So, God used the man's blindness. So, this can bring us great comfort because Paul tells us something very important in Romans 8. He says that no matter what comes in our life, whether it's trouble, whether it's suffering, whether it's sickness, that God can work that out for our glory, for, for our good and His glory. He can do that either here and now or sometime in the future, that one day we're going to look back and we're going to see God worked it out for His glory. Now, we may not always understand it. We may not always like it. But that's the world we live in, and that's the promise, and that's the hope that we have, that God can make it work out for our eternal good. So that's the first question. The first question is, is sin and suffering tied together? Yes, it is, but it's not a one-to-one connection. Uh, not all, not always. Secondly, how do you cure spiritual blindness? Because essentially, again, this story is not about a man who was born blind and now can see. That's that's the surface, you know, and it's a miracle that Jesus points out. And there's a controversy because he did it on the Sabbath and it's going to cause problems for him down the road because he keeps violating the Sabbath. You know, and this, this, it wasn't he was breaking the law. It was that he was breaking the law of the scribes and the Pharisees. So the question is, what is Jesus doing here? Well, he's teaching something about not physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. And he says, I'm the light of the world. What does he mean when he says, I'm the light of the world? He's saying that there's a spiritual darkness and he's trying to point it out. And it's very clear because the Pharisees are not getting it. They're caught up on the, on the legalism. They're not seeing the miracle. They're not seeing the power of God right before their eyes. Here's a man who was born blind who can see, and they don't get it. It's right before their eyes, and they don't get it. Notice uh, the text that Jesus told him. I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him, and they asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you, would, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. In other words, Jesus says you claim that you get it. You claim that you understand but you don't understand. And therefore, you are blind. See, no one is more blind than someone who believes they see clearly. Isn't that a problem when you don't think you're blind, but you are and you don't believe it when somebody says, hey, you're blind? What does it mean? In other words, what does it mean to be spiritually blind? It means that until the Holy Spirit comes in and opens your eyes, you can't see critically important realities. And probably the two most common things that you can't see is you can't see the weight of your sin and you can't be amazed by the grace of God. That's a big problem. You don't see your sin and you don't see His grace. The Pharisees thought that they were seeing clearly, but they were spiritually blind. They thought they knew who Jesus was, but they were blind to Him. They saw Him, but they didn't see Him. Do you see that? That's the point John's trying to get us to see. They saw Him, but they didn't see Him. 
Do you think that there are people that you know, people in your family, people, your friends, neighbors, uh, people you work with, that they know Jesus, but they don't know him? They see Jesus, but they don't see him. They don't understand. But if you were to ask them, do you understand who Jesus is and why he came? They would say, absolutely, I get that. They see him, but they don't see him. Verse 24 goes on to say, The Pharisees came to the man and said, So for this, this is earlier in the, in the, in the dialogue. So for the second time they called in the man who had, who had been born blind and they told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man is a sinner. <laughs> they say, We see clearly Jesus is a sinner, not a savior, right? He's saying, Well, you better get some new glasses because these aren't, the ones you're wearing aren't working. Right? And I love what the man says. I don't know whether he's a sinner, uh, but I know this. I was blind, but now I see. See, the point John wants you to see is there was one man who was physically blind who not only became physically sight, but he got spiritual sight. Because Jesus comes to him and he says, do you, do you want to believe in the, 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 the one who heals, the, the God? And he says, I don't know who he is. He's standing right before you. I believe. And it says the man not only believed, but he worshipped. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Have you ever done this? Uh, I don't know if many of you know, my dad used to be, uh, my dad was an optometrist when I was growing up. And I always got a kick out of going in and he would check our eyes. And now going to another optometrist, you kind of like... Are they as good as my dad? Or, you know, you have kind of the comparison. and so. But, you know, you go in for the checkup and they put the big thing on there right on your eyes. And, and they do this, don't they? They say, better or worse? Better or worse? And you can really freak them out if you just kind of randomly say things. Because they're going, wait a minute, that's, that shouldn't be that way. But you shouldn't do that, by the way. But... Um, They'll ask you, better or worse, better or worse. And isn't it amazing? Some of you have never had glasses before. Oh, you know, you're like me. I have these cheaters, these readers. And um, you, you, you put them on and you go, wow, that print's so big. It's so crisp, crisp and clear. I didn't even know that I was... Blind, I couldn't see, but now with these glasses, with this new prescription, um, you thought your sight was okay, but now with these glasses, you say, man, I could really see now. There are many people who have been raised within the church. They've heard the gospel. They might even agree that they're a sinner. But it's only when the Holy Spirit comes into their lives and comes into our lives that we really begin to see our sin. That we're broken by it. You really see your sin for the first time and you begin to see the... See, you don't, ama- you don't appreciate the grace of God until you see how deep your sin is. If you think your sin isn't so bad because there's other sinners worse than you. If you think that you're trying your best and you, you fail now and then and you give yourself the benefit of doubt all the time, grace doesn't mean anything to you. You're spiritually blind. Um... I was raised in a faith tradition where sin was acknowledged and confessed. We believed we were sinners, so we went to confession. But here's the one thing that never, I, I never felt like. I never felt like when I left my confession time and prayed whatever prayers or did whatever penance I was given, I never felt clean. I always wondered, did I get everything? 
Did I confess every sin? Did I forget something? Um, then one day I crossed the line of faith. And for the first time I saw my sin. I really saw it. I really understood that I was a sinner. I, I knew I was a sinner. But now I knew I was a sinner. I saw my sin for the first time. And I saw my desperate need of grace. And I saw that my whole idea of what sin was was a way of self-salvation. That I thought my sin wasn't so bad and I could pretty much save myself. And I saw that as a sin. And I realized that I was drowning and I didn't even know it. I was blind and I didn't even know it. Before that day, I thought I could deal with my own sin. But then after I crossed the line of faith, I saw I needed somebody to take away my sin. Jesus was the only one who could pay the price for my sin. My sin convicted me, and I saw the beauty of His grace. For the first time in my life, I saw grace. And I understood the amazing grace that God gave to me. I had the same testimony that the man had. I was blind, but now I see. Martin Luther, you may remember Martin Luther, he's the father of the Lutheran movement and the break off from the Catholic Church. He wrote the 95 Thesis, nailed it to the door. I want to read you one of the theses that he had. This is thesis number four. He writes this. The penalty of sin, therefore, continues so long as hatred of self or true inner repentance continues. And it continues until our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And so you say, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because he explains it. Here's what he's saying in this thesis four. True sorrow must spring from the goodness and mercies of God, especially from the wounds of Christ, so that man comes, first of all, to a sense of his own ingratitude in view of divine goodness, and thereupon to hatred of himself and love of the kindness of God. Then tears will flow, and he will hate himself from the very depths of his heart, yet without despair. Basically what Luther is saying, until you come to grips with the depth of your sin and you grieve over it and it breaks your heart and it brings you to a place of, of, of almost despair. But then you look to the grace of God and you say, thank you, Lord. Until you get to that point, you're spiritually blind. This means there's very smart people out there, many morally good people out there, very successful people out there who are spiritually blind. They see Jesus, but they don't see Jesus. They see grace, but they don't see grace. They see sin, but they don't see sin. They don't, they don't get it. The people who are saved are not the good people. That's the interesting thing in this story. The Pharisees and the scribes were looked at the, the good moral people of the day. We would liken them to the people who go to church. But the Bible puts that on its ear because it says the good people aren't the ones who are saved. The good people are the the, the ones who are saved are the ones who know they're not good. Remember the story of the two brothers, the prodigal brothers? There was one brother, one son, and everybody, you know, read the stories. Well, that's the bad brother. He's the bad one. He ran away. He humiliated his father. But what did he do? He came to his senses. He did a 180, and he came back to his father, and he says, Father, I'm absolutely a sinner. And what did the father do? He opened his arms with grace. For the first time, his son 
understood the love of his father, the forgiveness of his grace. Meanwhile, there's an older brother, right? The older brother is the good boy. He's the boy that all the neighbors would say, well, he's the good one. He's the hard worker. He's the one that's stuck with his dad. And what happens? He throws a party for the one who sees his sin and understands the grace and mercy of his father. And what does the older brother do? Does he celebrate? No, he doesn't celebrate, just like the scribes and the Pharisees. He's angry. He says, you never gave me a calf. You owe me. And the story's left over because what we learn by that is there's two sons. One was seen as far away. But at the end of the story, he's with his father. The other one is seen as close to the father. But at the end of the story, he's far away. Spiritually blind. Well, what's the cure? Let me give you two quick cures for spiritual blindness. The first one is you begin to worship the right thing. And this is where I, I, I keyed in on what the blind man said. He says, I believe the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Our spiritual blindness is cured when we stop worshipping anyone or anything other than Jesus. That's when our spiritual blindness ends. Because we all worship. See, if you live for anything other than God, you will never escape your spiritual blindness. Spiritually blind people live for power, prestige, wealth, career, even good things. T- you can take good things that God gives you like family and, and, and uh, relationships and, and good things. But here's the thing. Those things take over and good things become God things. And so now spiritual blindness can be for people who are very religious and very good people, but they don't see. They say they see, but they don't really see. They're blind. Jesus is the only one worthy of your love and devotion. And as you love him more, your spiritual sight will begin to clear up. It's like Jesus is the optometrist going, better or worse. <laughs> and as we get as we begin to, to to really direct our heart to him and give our heart to him and stop you know leaning on these other things, our spiritual sight is restored. Get, get what John's saying in the story. He's saying the most religious people on the planet looked at Jesus and said, He's a sinner. And a man who is looked upon and mocked by the Pharisees, the most religious people who were seen as the most religious people on the planet, look at this man and say, You're nothing but a sinner. And he ended up worshiping him. It's the story of the prodigal brothers here again. Secondly, you see the darkness he faced for you on the cross. He cried out at one point in his torment, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He dove into the spiritual darkness so that we could have spiritual sight. He did that for you. And when you see him clearly, you say, Thank you, Lord. And you really begin to see spiritually. See, part of the problem is we never come to grips with how Our sin. If you don't see your sin, you'll never need grace. But when you see your sin and the depth of your sin, and you you see that it brought him to earth and it took him to a cross and he gave his life for you, it breaks you. And you're, you're, you're stunned. You're amazed by his grace. You see the magnitude of your sin and you see the greatness of his grace. So there's a lot of religious people. 
And that's what John's saying to us. John's saying, you can be as religious as you want. You can say all the right things, go through all the hoops. But you can still be spiritually blind. Sight comes to those who don't see themselves as righteous, but see themselves as sinners in desperate need of a Savior who are drowning in sin. And this man came to Jesus and he said, I, I need help. Jesus says, I'm your help. He says, I worship you. I trust you. So the question is, where are you at? How's your sight? How's your sight? Stand with me. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for uh, this story. Thank you for the implications. And I pray, Father, that, number one, we would begin to see. I think some of us are maybe asking the question, what about my family member that I, that I care about and they, they see but they don't see, or a coworker or a friend? And, Father, I pray that you would help us to begin to pray for you to open their eyes, just like you opened the eyes of the man, that the you begin to open eyes in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, that you would use us to help others to have their eyes opened. Your word tells us that we love you because you first loved us. You first opened our eyes. And once you opened our eyes, Father, we saw things we never saw before. We saw you, but we never saw you. We saw our sin, but we never saw sin. We saw grace, but we never saw grace. Now we see it. Now we're amazed. Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to be used by you to bring sight to the blind and realize that there are many very good, very religious, very nice people who believe in you believe in Jesus, believe in the resurrection, but they're blind. Help us to be used by you to open their eyes. Thank you for opening our eyes and continue to give us spiritual sight day by day. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.